So we are in the, the, the series, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this is week five. It's been five weeks. Five weeks, and we've got about 500 weeks left. Uh, it's going slow, but it's fun. Are you enjoying this? Yeah, amen. amen. Me too. This has been exciting for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We haven't even got out of chapter one yet. It's uh, 16 chapters in this book. Uh, so... Uh, anyway, uh, but up until this point, we have, we have watched uh, Jesus be baptized. We have uh, watched him go out into the wilderness and be tempted. We have uh, seen him cast out demons. And so today, we are going to continue. And, and, and really, in a sense, today, the message, the title of the message today is Jesus, the Messiah King. And what I've really found interesting about the passage today that we're going to be looking at is that it really is just basically it's a day in the life of Christ. I mean, if you were ever interested in knowing what a daily, uh, what, what a day in the life of Jesus looked like, right here in Mark 29 through 34, uh, we pretty much have it. And so uh, today we are going to talk about Jesus, the Messiah King. And so as I begin here, I was kind of looking at the passage this last week and as I was preparing and then I was kind of looking at the culture that we live in and you know we live in a world that is it seems filled with logic these days you know uh, we're always looking for uh, the answer to two questions that I think I hear so many people asking, and, and I have asked this, and we ask it of one another. We ask it of our employers. We ask it uh, of, of those uh, that we come in contact with at the stores. We ask it uh, of all of the different places around us. And these two questions that I hear over and over and over again, us asking is, what can you do for me? And what have you done for me lately? You know? What can you do for me? And isn't there like a song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? What have you done for me lately? I, I, I felt the beat for a second there. Yeah. Was that Janet Jackson? Oh, my gosh. I just worked a Janet Jackson song into my sermon. Oh, let's pray. Uh. <laughs> but we ask this question a lot. What can you do for me or what have you done for me lately? And the reason why we ask this question so often is because we live in a culture where everyone is about a means to an end, okay? Uh, and we all want the end result. We want to we know uh, what is being done for us, we want to know what's in it for us, for me, you know? And as I was thinking about this, to be honest with you, if we're not careful, these same kind of questions, this same kind of attitude, this same kind of mindset, it, well, it can creep into the spiritual realm, it can creep into uh, our spiritual walk also if we're not careful. And, and, and we can find ourselves, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say arrogantly because 
I think that's, it's, it's, it is arrogant. Uh, we can find ourselves arrogantly challenging God as if he were our servant obligated to meet our needs and respond to our call. And if we're not careful at times, we can get caught up in the thought of, well, you know, it's all about what God can do for me, you know? Uh, what is, you know, I, I talk to people sometimes who, who are kind of, you know, uh, negative towards the church or negative towards Christianity, negative toward Jesus, and, and a lot of times some of, the, some of the subtext of their negativity rises out of the reality that God didn't do something that they wanted him to do. God didn't give them something that they wanted him to give him. God didn't heal someone that they wanted him to heal. God didn't open a door uh, that they wanted him to, do, uh, to open. And so because of this what-can-you-do-for-me mindset, they're not very interested. And so as I was thinking about this today, what is it that we really do need God to do for us? What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me ever? And the reality of it is, is amazingly, in the incarnation, and what I mean by incarnation, I mean in the God becoming flesh, God coming down as Jesus Christ, the sending of his Son, God answers that question. Because you see, as much as we don't deserve to ask the question of him, as much as we don't deserve to be arrogant in challenging him or requesting from him or seeking from him to give us something, he does serve us. He does minister to us. As a matter of fact, he even sacrifices himself for us. And so perhaps the key verse that summarizes the gospel of Mark and the ministry of Jesus found in the gospel of Mark is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And I know I'm jumping forward by nine chapters. But in chapter 10, verse 45, Mark writes these words. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the ransom, the payment for sin, occurred on the cross. Can we say amen to that? His service to wounded and helpless sinners like us is the characteristic of his ministry 
from the very beginning to the end. And it's shown, as we're going to see today, in a day in the life of Christ, here in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. You see, all through the first 30 verses that we've gone through up until this point, in chapter 1, Mark uses a word that's very interesting. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he's used it multiple times, and that word is immediately, or right away, or at once, if your translation is different than mine. And it's how he deals with the events each and every day. It's how he deals with the events. It says, uh, with a sense of mission or with a sense of urgency. Jesus here, he's here and then he's there, okay? And he's ministering to this one and then he's ministering to another. And he truly is, he truly is, as we're seeing here in the Gospel of Mark, he is the servant, he is the servant of the Lord, healing the physical sick. He is setting free spiritual prisoners. He he is letting loose those who are held captive uh, by the prince of dark darkness. We've seen him cut loose those who have been under oppression of demonic sources. And so the question that we go back to the beginning, what can Jesus do for us? Well, the answer today is this, so much more than we ever hoped or ever could imagine. Amen? So let's start. Let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. If you've got a Bible, turn your Bible there. If you're using your tablet, if you're on version, uh, remember I told you guys we've got the events on there, so you can open that up, and it's actually got the Scripture there. But let's look at this. So starting with verse 29, go ahead and throw this up on the screen. I want to read this to you, and hopefully it's large enough for me to read. Great. Awesome. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told her about him, and he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Wow. Go to the next one. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So there's a couple things that I want to pull out here first in this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. Jesus came to heal, folks. Jesus has left the synagogue where he taught with authority, where he delivered a demon-possessed man. We read about that last week. And next what happens is he enters into Simon Peter's house with his four closest disciples. And this will, if you don't know the history, this is going to be the base of operations, okay? This is going to be where Jesus is going to operate at, and he's going to go out in and around Capernaum, okay? If you look at chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 9, chapter 10, go on, look through all of those. You can, hey, by the way, you can read ahead. Just wanted to make that available to you, you know? It's not one of those things where, oh, i got to stay right here. I stopped reading my Bible when Pastor Steve started preaching through Mark because I didn't want to jump ahead. 
No, please read ahead, okay? So here we find in this passage, Peter, uh, or Jesus in Peter's home, he's at his Peter's mother-in-law, one, is sick with fever, okay? And so the nature of the illness, we don't know what the nature of the illness is here, but here's what I want you to understand first, okay? It's not about what she is sick with, all right? It's about the power of the healer, all right? So at once, they inform Jesus of her illness, and just as quickly as he goes to her, touches her, he heals her, all right? And so what I want you to grab a hold of today is that Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, and this is something that I think that we need to hear and we need to understand, especially in a culture and a world where we're asking, what can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? This is what Jesus does. Jesus brings healing he brings wholeness to the broken at once he entered in he touches her and he heals her there's no spells there's no incantations there's no rituals with compassion and a personal touch jesus restores peter's ailing mother-in-law to full health And verse 34, just to point this out, adds that at this particular day, it says he healed many who were sick and with various diseases. They they kept bringing the sick to him, and he kept healing them with love and compassion. So let me ask this question. Let me ask you, is there healing in the atonement Is there healing in the sacrifice that Jesus made? Is there healing in who Jesus is? Is there healing in what Isaiah 53, 5 says when it says we are healed by his wounds? Matthew 8, verse 17, uh, in the parallel count of these events, even adds a quote from Isaiah 53, 4 when it says, Yet he himself bore our sickness And he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. The answer today for all of us is emphatically, in Jesus Christ, there is healing. And I'm not just talking about physical healing. I'm talking about a broken heart. I'm talking about broken relationships. I'm talking about broken emotions. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstance, what we grab a hold of here today is can Jesus heal? And the answer is absolutely yes. There is healing in Christ's coming and sacrifice for some yes it's immediate for others it is future for some it's immediate but temporary because can i just tell you something at some point all of us are going to leave this world But what this passage of Scripture is reminding us today, what we are seeing here and what Jesus is doing is it's a reminder to us that all who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can find healing in Him. 
Amen. I love what Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 and 5. Oh, by the way, I can pull from other passages too. I can jump into other books. I don't know. Because I'm preaching the series, I get, I get the rules. I get to, I get to do what I want. You know? I thought you were preaching in Mark, and you now got Revelation. That's right. I love Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 and 5. Listen to this. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You see, this morning, what I want you guys to grab a hold of in this message, the first and most important thing that I want you to grab a hold of is that Jesus has healing for your life. He wants to heal whatever is broken in your life. It may be a physical need. There may be some of you in this room this morning that you need a physical healing. You may know someone in your life that needs a physical healing. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ, his hands, his love, his atonement brings healing when we trust in him. I'm also here to tell you this morning that whatever else is broken in your life, if you've got a broken marriage, if you've got a broken relationship with your children, if you've got a, a broken relationship with uh, your boss at work or in a situation, if your neighbor gets on your nerves, well, you gotta get them all in there. If that person's sitting right next to you right now, don't look at them. If it's broken, he has healing available to you if you'll trust in him. We're going to leave this up here all the time because this is fun to lean on. <laughs> you see, as we're studying through the gospel of Mark, Jesus came to restore what is broken. He came to make whole that which has been left, torn apart. And this morning, I want you guys to grab a hold of this. I want you to grab a hold of the healing power of Jesus Christ. And I don't want you just to think about it. I want you to live in that healing power today. Because my Lord and Savior sees nothing that is beyond repair. Amen? Now that leads me to the next passage of Scripture, the next part of this passage that I want to share with you. And that is, not only does he heal, but Jesus also came to deliver. Now specifically in this passage of Scripture, he came to deliver those who are possessed, those who have been demonized. Mark chapter 1, verse 32 through 34, and let's go ahead and read that again. It says, that evening at sundown, they brought, him, brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together 
at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, we're going to get to that one. That's going to be my third point, but we'll get there in a couple seconds. Okay, we're not going to talk about that right now. The first I want to talk about is that he came to deliver. Jesus' fame. So we see this. Uh, we find this in verse 28 last week. The fame of Jesus, it is spreading like crazy all right i mean people uh, from all over are coming they're all hearing about this jesus people are probably aware that he's in peter's house actually at this point and that he has healed his mother-in-law i mean i'm dude when he healed peter's mother-in-law those folks ran out there on the streets telling people man putting billboards up the planes are flying over with those things in the back okay maybe not planes because they didn't have planes back then but it is spreading I mean, they are aware of the fact that Jesus is in town. And so what we see here in verse 32 through 34 is the reason it says that the, the evening at sun, the, that evening at sundown, they brought to them uh, him all who were sick and who were oppressed. See, what's happening here is the Sabbath is coming to an end. It ends at sundown, all right? And so people show up from everywhere bringing the sick until the whole town was assembled at the door. With so many around him, what would Jesus do? What's he do here? Does he run out the back door? No. Come on, say it. No. Does he go upstairs and hide in a room? Does he call out for pizza? No. You know what he does? He heals. It says he heals many. You see, the sick were not the only ones that were coming, okay? It wasn't just the sick who were coming. They also brought those who were obsessed, who were oppressed by demons. He drove out demons. And the last phrase of verse 34 is so instructive. It's interesting. Humans often have a hard time with knowing who Jesus is. But what I find amazing in this is that the, de the demons never have a hard time knowing who Jesus is, do they? We have a hard time who he's figuring out who he is sometimes. People have a hard time figuring out, but the demons, they never get it right. They know exactly who he is, and they're afraid of him. Man, you see, Jesus came to deliver. Not only to heal, but he came to deliver. He came to bring people out of what they're in into something new. He came to set people free you and i here today i don't care what has you in bondage i don't care what has you oppressed i don't care what has you holding back held back whatever it is i'm here to tell you that jesus christ came to deliver you and set you free amen the chains are broken matter of fact the chains are disintegrated the chains are gone when you surrender to Jesus Christ. You see, do you understand why Mark is giving this scene in verse 29 through 34? What he's saying to us, what is happening in this passage, is he's saying, I want you to watch 
what a servant does. I want you to watch what it looks like to be a servant. You see, he healed many who were sick. He cast out many demons. You know how I you know how I'm always you know how I'm always telling you that the gospel is a kingdom gospel? Say yes, Pastor, you're always saying that, okay? You know how I'm always telling you that, that, that the gospel is a kingdom gospel? And that part of the gospel message is a kingdom message? You see, what we're seeing in this passage today, this gets me so excited. What we are seeing is we're seeing what I tell you all the time firsthand. The kingdom has come in the person of the great and awesome king, Jesus Christ, and it is moving forward with great speed and success. And what is happening here in this passage, no one can stop it. You see, folks, Jesus wants to heal and he wants to deliver every single one of us in this room every single person outside these four walls today. You see, the reason why we go out and we do all the things that we do in the community is because we want people to know the love of Jesus Christ. We want people to know the kind of love that brings healing and deliverance. And nothing that you and I go through Nothing that we have experienced is beyond that. There is nothing broken beyond his repair. Amen? You see, in this passage of Scripture today, as we look at a day in the life of Jesus, Jesus came to heal and he came to deliver. And the reason he did that is because that is the kingdom message. That is the message of living in the kingdom of God because those who live in the kingdom of God experience healing and wholeness. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus today. Amen. Now this leads me to the last point that I want to bring up today because we can't really look at this passage of Scripture without dealing with this a little bit because we've kind of dealt with it a little bit up until this point. It's been in other passages, in other uh, verses, and we're going to see it a little bit more in Mark as we go down the road. And that is what they call in the academic, in the theological academic arena, they call it the messianic secret. Have any of you guys ever heard of the messianic secret? Anybody? Like four people? Only the ones that went to college? Oh, you are so awesome. Thank you so much. The pregnant lady gives me a water bottle of water. God love you. You just earned an extra crown. Some of you lost one, though. Like your husband right there. No, I'm just kidding. I want to talk about the Messianic secret just for a couple minutes, okay? Because uh, what the Messianic secret is all about is it's about this, what we see happening here, and that is when Jesus, uh, it appears, is attempting 
to conceal his identity. He's attempting to conceal his messiahship. And that's, that's what it's, why it's called the messianic secret. Because the question is, why, why like in this specific passage, why does Jesus not permit uh, the demons to speak in verse 34? And, and why will Jesus, when next week, uh, when we're in, in verse 44, why will Jesus tell the leper uh, to say nothing to anyone? You see, this strangeness, this, uh, this, this what appears to be uh, a, a, um, a secret identity uh, that is in the academic realm is referred to as this, the the messianic secret, it's an important and it's an interesting issue to discuss uh, by both believing and actually it's a conversation that's been had in the non-believing academic realm uh, of scholars a lot. And so, um, so I want to just, I just kind of want to go through this just real quick and just kind of give you, I'm going to give you just kind of a quick lesson here. So on three different occasions, Demons, so here's the messianic secret. On three different occasions, demons are, are ordered to be silent. We see that in verse 25 of chapter 1, verse 34 uh, of, of chapter 1, and then in chapter 3 down the road in uh, verse 11, we'll see him quiet the demons, okay? All right, and then Jesus commands silence after four different miracles. So uh, there's the cleansing of leper that you're going to see next week. He says he wants quiet after that. There's the raising of the dead girl in chapter 5, verse 43. Uh, there's the healing of the deaf mute that takes place in chapter 7. And then there's the healing of a blind man in chapter 8. And all four of those times, Jesus will, will uh, ask or command silence after these things, okay? And then twice, okay, Twice the disciples are commanded to be silent. In chapter 8 and chapter 9, Jesus tells both, tells, two different times, tells the, the uh, disciples to be silent, okay? And then there's also in, my, in Mark, you'll see two different times when Jesus will uh, withdraw from the crowd so not to be detected, okay? We'll find that in chapter 7 and verse, uh, in chapter 9, okay? And then beyond these explicit uh, admonitions to secrecy, Mark uh, seems to uh, imply secrecy in other aspects of Jesus' public ministry. Now, the, the first part of the interesting section of this, I don't know if I said that correct, but You'll figure it out. What's interesting about this is in most of the situations where Jesus commands silence, the result is often what? The opposite. Yeah. The more he tells them to be silent, uh, the more they talk. All right? Kind of sounds like our kids sometimes. You know, sounds like, well, let's not go there. Sometimes you, you, you have people in your life where you, when you say, hey, listen, don't say anything. And it's like they walk out of your room, office, whatever, and like, it's like they had like a, like a it's like they had, what is, what, it's like they had a bullhorn in the back pocket. And as soon as you said, don't say anything, they were like, okay, I won't say that you just said this. So I want to point this out, and then I want to make some observations real quick. So let's make some observations just real quick. So, so why is this taking place? 
Why is there this, what is called the messianic secret? Why is there this, why is this happening? And so here's some observation that I, some observations that I pulled out this week, and then we're gonna kind of wrap this up. First of all, uh, observation number one, Jesus wanted to avoid the impression of being a mere miracle worker or a magician, okay? Those who conjure up tricks seeking attention for themselves. You see, Jesus is different than that, right? Amen? He came to defeat the power and the effects of sin in the whole world. He's not just a magician, amen? All right. Second observation, Jesus wanted to avoid unhelpful publicity to have more moments of private teaching with his disciples. Obviously, Jesus' reputation gathered a crowd. We see that, right? And this crowd demanded attention, and every moment Jesus spent in public was a moment he could not spend intimately discipling those that he was preparing because we know now Jesus would only have three years right he would only have three years with these guys and so there was a plan that he had all right number three and third observation Jesus wanted to avoid the people's misconception about the messiah you see, his messiahship was characterized by service and suffering. It was not sensational displays of miraculous activity that would excite political messiah uh, fever. Because can I just tell you something? At this period of time, they were looking for messiahs around every corner, weren't they? For those of you who have done any kind of a, a, a theological study, man, Jesus was not the first one to come on the scene claiming to be the Messiah. And the truth of the matter is he won't be the last one. Jesus is not interested in the publicity of, of Messiahship, all right? He's not interested in the political realm. His attempts to reign have nothing to do with him taking over the throne of Caesar, right? Number four, Jesus wanted to express his humility as the suffering servant, as the suffering servant of the Lord. You see, what Jesus wanted to inform us of is that only through the medium of faith, ultimately in a crucified and humiliated Savior, is his Messiahship going to be fully comprehended. Go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. You see, one cannot grasp the fullness of his worth without realizing that he must die. And he knew that. We don't simply like Jesus because he can do miraculous works. We trust him because of his death on our behalf and his resurrection for our victory. That is the gospel message, amen? Jesus wanted to avoid the recognition from an undesirable source, such as demons. Who cares if the demons know me? 
or hypocritical leaders for that matter. You see, what Jesus wanted, and these are the observations I make in this, Jesus wanted his identity concealed to the point to point to the hostility of the religious and political leaders of the day. There was a stark contrast between Jesus' humble love and, and the Pharisees' look-at-me religiosity. This disparity is seen most clearly in Jesus' own choice to walk resolutely into the destined hour of his passion. You see, I bring these up today. The reason I want to talk about this just for a second is because there are some who have suggested that Mark invented this portrait of Jesus Christ in order to explain why Jesus was not recognized as the Son of God prior to the Easter event. Some would argue, some would argue that Mark in here is trying to make Jesus look like the Messiah because most didn't understand that he was the Messiah until he walked out of the tomb. And I'm here to tell you today that what we're seeing here, this messianic secret, has nothing to do with what Mark is writing. It's not about what Mark is doing. It is what Jesus is doing. You see, I want us to make it clear here today. I want to clear some. The reason, listen, the reason nobody recognized him as the Messiah is because all they were looking for was a political, military Messiah who would liberate them from Roman oppression. You see, the reason I bring this up is sometimes I think we get caught up. i got to walk down here and get on the same level with everybody because I'm definitely not up there. Sometimes I think we get caught up in the what-can-Jesus-do-for-me mindset because as much as we claim that He is Lord and Savior, all we're looking is to find out what he can do for us and what he has done for us lately. You see, it's not about what Jesus can do for you and I. It's more importantly about what he has done for us. And that is he made it possible for you and I to be set free. He made it possible for Steve Van Fossen with all of his flaws, with all of the mistakes that he has made in life, for all of the stupid things that he has done. By the way, if you're a first-time guest here and you don't know who Steve Van Fossen is, that's me. <laughs> all the junk that has taken place in my, he made it possible that in spite of all of my stupidity, <laughs> I can be set free in him. You see, the messianic secret, it wasn't about Mark trying to give 
a Messiah image of Jesus. It was about Jesus wanting us to understand and them to understand the deeper root of why he came. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman government. He came to set captives free. He came to restore what had been broken in the garden. He came to bring wholeness to that which had been destroyed. The idea that they would fabricate Jesus as Messiah in terms of his design or his divine sonship, it's simply not believable because instead we can confidently affirm that the messianic secret, it rose out of Jesus himself. You see, he self consciously identified with the serving, the suffering servant of the Lord. We go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 53. And he knew, Jesus knew the need to guard his messianic identity from premature and false understandings. You see, back in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, I want to read this for you. Go up and put it up the screen. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. You see, he was not the kind of Messiah the first century world hoped for. But he was the kind of Messiah the first century world, indeed the whole world, truly needed. You see, our greatest ailment is not sickness, it's sin. It's not demons, it's death. You see, we do not need a Messiah who would only bring liberation from political oppression and healing from disease. What Jesus wants to make clear to us today through this passage is we need a Messiah who will give his life, who would give his life as a ransom for sinners just like us. And praise God, he sent us, God sent us the kind of Messiah that we need. Amen? This morning as the team comes forward, I want to close by letting you know some things today that 
I hope you already know, but if you don't, I hope this will bring healing and deliverance to you. Number one, listen, God cares about the problems in this fallen, sin-infested world. He cares about your problems. He cares about the things that you are struggling with right now. He cares for you deeply. And he knows, number two, he knows that we hurt and that sin is a constant reminder of our finite mortal humanity. God has remedied our hopeless condition by sending Jesus. As did the disease and the demonized, we should run to him and him alone. Listen, folks. We will find healing. We will find rest. We will find restoration nowhere else but at the feet of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you have been searching for. I don't care how many different places you have gone to get healing, to get restoration, to find peace. I don't care where you have searched up to this point. The only place that you will find healing, wholeness, and deliverance is from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And this morning, like Peter's mother-in-law, we should be quick to serve him and serve others out of the grateful appreciation for such a wonderful Savior and such a marvelous salvation. You see, this passage of Scripture may have given us a glimpse of a normal day in the life of Jesus but I'm here to tell you right now it was anything but normal for those who encountered and experienced His saving grace. Amen? Have you received Him? Have you surrendered to him? Do you trust in him? Do you understand that he wants to set you free? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, I just pray right now that in this room that all distractions be set aside and that we focus and trust in you and surrender 
to you. You have come to heal and deliver. And we are a people in the need of deliverance. Lord, may we surrender to you. I pray this in your most precious name. And everybody says,